bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Nevergrati, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November 12, 2013. I'll start this week's podcast with a budget conference and tax reform update. From there, we have a reminder about the Financial Accounting Standard Boards, or FASBs, upcoming Emerging Issues Task Force, or EATF, meeting at which they're scheduled to discuss accounting for affordable housing as well as other types of tax credit investments. That meeting is scheduled for this Thursday, the 14th of November. Then, in our Loan Composing Tax Credit segment, I'll update listeners about the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's release of updated qualified census tract and difficult development areas. I also have information about testimony from a recent Senate committee hearing. This is the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, and it was a hearing on multifamily housing. Then, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll discuss Maine Senator Angus King's decision to support the Rural Heritage Conservation Act of 2013. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I share information about a solar working group's development of standard contract templates for solar projects. Additionally, I discuss a newsletter from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency about public welfare investments in wind energy projects. And finally, in this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I report on a delay in the launch of the Community Development Financial Institutions Funds, or CDFI Funds, information mapping system. Now, don't worry, though. While there's no estimate on when the new system will be active, the old system is back up and fully functional. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Lauren French with Politico is reporting that Senate Finance Chairman Max Baucus and House Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp will be meeting with their respective committees this week to discuss tax reform. Speculation abounds as to when and what the two chairmen may make public in the coming weeks. Now, for a while, there's been speculation that Chairman Camp would actually hold a markup in November. But, as every day passes, that reality seems much less likely. Lauren French is also reporting that House Majority Leader Eric Cantor and Chairman Camp may meet this week and, I quote Lauren's article, to discuss the path forward for tax reform in that chamber, close quote. Now, regarding the government shutdown ending a budget conference, their next meeting is this Wednesday, and Lauren French is also reporting that Congressional Budget Office Director Doug Elmendorf will be in attendance at the meeting and will discuss the outlook for the federal budget. Turning to accounting news, I'd like to remind you about the Financial Accounting Standard Board's Emerging Issues Task Force meeting this Thursday. The Emerging Issues Task Force, or EITF, is scheduled to discuss how to account for investments in qualified affordable housing projects. And we hope issue and approve revised accounting standards that could increase the investor pool for low-income housing tax credits. As regular listeners may recall, the EITF first instructed staff to draft updated low-income housing tax credit GAAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Principle, guidance at its March meeting. 
the task force released draft guidance in April and accepted comments on the draft until June 17th. It discussed draft guidance and comments received at its September 13th meeting. The industry had hoped that the EITF would approve the guidance at that meeting. Yet, the EITF delayed approval of the guidance and decided to discuss it again at the November 14th meeting, that's this Thursday. The task force is scheduled to discuss affordable housing investments from 1 to 2.30 Eastern Time this Thursday. The EITF staff has posted its recommendations on the FASB website. For this week's discussion, staff recommends that low-income housing tax credits not be classified as deferred tax assets, that other tax credit investments be allowed to follow the same proposed conditions, and that the proportional amortization method using tax credits only be used. Now, assuming the first recommendation is upheld, the EITF will not need to issue a new exposure draft. This means that the EITF could approve the guidance on Thursday. If the guidance is approved, it could have a dramatic effect on the investment tax credit industry. The changes would expand the pool of investors for the low-income housing tax credit, as well as potentially new markets tax credits, historic tax credits, and renewable energy tax credits. In the meantime, I encourage you to review the revised discussion materials that FASB has posted to its website. You can also find a summary of the September 13th meeting on the Notes from Novogratic blog. Simply search Notes from Novogratic on Google to find a link to my blog, and you can then click on the September 13th post. Also, follow Novogratic Breaking News as we'll be sending up breaking news updates during the course of the meeting or after the meeting, and we'll also be tweeting as more information becomes known. In low-income housing tax credit news, I begin with an update about the 2014 qualified census tracts in difficult development areas. These are also known as QCTs and DDAs. Usually, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development would have released the updates by now, but the government shutdown has delayed their release. Novogratz and company checked in with HUD about when we might see the updated 2014 areas. HUD said that it's close to finishing its internal clearance process. A publication date has not been set, but HUD said that the DDAs should be available soon. As for the QCTs, HUD said that it plans to change its release schedule for the QCTs. From 2013 on, the agency plans to release updated QCTs every five years. HUD is making the change, it said, because it's using the American Community Survey data to determine the QCTs. The U.S. Census averages five years of data to calculate track-level estimates. So HUD will release new QCTs in years for which all of the data is new. That means that the next set of new QCTs will be released in 2018. We'll keep an eye out for the 2014 DDAs, and we'll post them to the Affordable Housing Resource Center when they're available. Novogratz and Company will also provide analysis of the changes to the DDAs as they warrant. Now, in other low-income housing tax credit news, the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs held a hearing last week on housing finance reform. The committee invited several industry stakeholders to testify at the hearing. For the most part, industry leaders agreed that a partnership between public and private investors is needed to address the nation's affordable housing shortage. In his testimony, Rick Judson of the National Association of Home Builders urged Congress to preserve the Long Housing Tax Credit Program. Judson called it 
the most successful affordable housing production program in U.S. history. One of the other hot topics of the day was the National Housing Trust Fund. It's designated so that at least 90% of the funds go to produce, preserve, rehabilitate, and operate rental housing. It was established under the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, but unfortunately was never funded. It was supposed to be funded by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but the Federal Housing Finance Administration suspended contributions to the fund when it took over the government-sponsored entities back in 2008. In her testimony last week, Sheila Crowley of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition argued that the funding suspension should be lifted. She urged Congress to make the National Housing Trust Fund a permanent part of the budget and preserve it as a standalone program under HUD. Others echoed their support of the National Housing Trust Fund, including Ethel Handelman of the National Housing Conference and Hillary Shelton of the NAACP, whereas Douglas Holtz Eakin of the American Action Forum voiced a different opinion. He argued that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac need to be wound down because they lowered mortgage credit quality standards and were massive cases of the too-big-to-fail problem. He also argued against adding a user fee on federal mortgage insurance corporation-insured securities that could be used to fund the National Housing Trust Fund. He called it a core policy error that could, according to him, further raise the cost of mortgage rates, encourage FMIC to grow beyond its chartered purpose, and lead to a lack of transparency and accountability with revenues from the surcharge. The hearing was entitled Housing Finance Reform Essential Elements to Provide Affordable Options for Housing, and it was the latest in a series of Senate hearings on housing finance reform. Over the past month, the committee has held several hearings, including Essential Elements of the Multifamily Housing Finance System. The series of hearings were scheduled throughout the fall as Congress prepares to debate housing finance reform and the future of government-sponsored enterprises Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You can find copies of the written testimonies at www.taxcredithousing.com. In historic tax credit news, I have an update on the Rural Heritage Conservation Act of 2013. It's also known as Senate Bill 526. I'm pleased to report that last week, Senator Angus King of Maine signed on as a co-sponsor. For those of you not familiar with S-526, let me bring you up to speed. This legislation would permanently extend certain enhanced tax incentives for conservation easements. It makes permanent the ability of individual taxpayers to claim conservation easement deductions up to 50% of their adjusted gross income. These enhanced tax incentives are scheduled to expire December 31, 2013. Without an extension, the limit reverts to 30%. By the way, these enhanced tax incentives have been extended three times since their first enactment. For corporations, the bill makes permanent the ability to claim deductions in excess of 10% of taxable income. Conservation easements can, in some cases, be used in connection with historic tax credit developments. This brings the number of co-sponsors up to 14 senators at the time of this recording. We'll be sure to bring you updates on the progress of the bill as more information becomes available. To learn more about the bill, visit www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, I want to begin with a big thank you to all who attended the Novogratic Financing Renewable Energy Conference in Washington, D.C. last week. 
More than 150 industry stakeholders joined us for some great discussions about the investment tax credit and the production tax credit. One of the many treats at the conference was a keynote presentation by Senator Pat Roberts, the senior senator from Kansas and a member of the Senate Finance Committee. If you were unable to attend the conference, don't worry. A recording of all of the sessions will soon be available. Simply send an email to products at novaco.com if you'd like to know when the recording is going to be available. Next, we have encouraging news for our listeners in the renewable energy industry. A solar working group called Solar Access to Public Capital announced last week that it has developed standard contract templates that may lower transaction costs for solar projects. National Renewable Energy Laboratory convened the working group to help standardize solar power purchase agreements and lease contracts. This uniformity is something that energy stakeholders have long pushed for. Solar Access to Public Capital said its customizable contract templates may, or hopefully will, improve consumer transparency, increase private investments, and lower solar consumer costs. To date, the working group has developed three standard contract templates. One is for commercial power purchase agreements, or PPAs. One is for residential leases for developers with in-house installation practices. And a second is for residential leases for developers using installation partners. Experts in the renewable industry say that uniform contracts and credit standards may allow deals to be financed with a securitization, which could increase cash flow to renewable energy projects and greatly minimize transaction costs. You can read more about how standard contract templates could enhance financing for renewable energy in Forrest Milder's column in the October issue of the Novograd Journal of Tax Credits. And if you don't have a subscription to the Journal of Tax Credits yet, I encourage you to sign up at www.novaco.com. In other renewable energy tax credit news, earlier this month, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency released the new issue of its Community Development Insights newsletter. This issue discusses public welfare investments, or PWIs, in wind energy tax credit transactions. The newsletter is entitled, Investing in Wind Energy Using the Public Welfare Investment Authority. It describes how banks and federal savings associations may invest in wind energy facilities using their PWI authority. To do so, one of the following three conditions must be met. One, the investment primarily benefits low- and moderate-income individuals or areas, or two, the facility benefits other areas targeted by a governmental entity for redevelopment, or three, the investment involves a qualified investment under the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA. The OCC released a fact sheet in September that detailed similar information in a slightly different format. The fact sheet was covered in-depth in our September 24th podcast. You can find a transcript of that podcast along with copies of the OCC's newsletter and corresponding fact sheet at www.energytaxcredits.com. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I have an update on the CDFI Information Mapping System, or SIMS. Participants in the New Market Tax Credit program will be using the SIMS 2 for the foreseeable future. Why? The launch date for the updated CDFI Information Mapping System, or SIMS 3, has been delayed indefinitely. The CDFI fund had originally planned to launch the third version of SIMS on November 1st. However, the CDFI fund discovered issues with the new system that it said would take longer to address than originally planned. And so, the launch date was pushed back in consideration of users that need to meet fiscal year 2013 
CDFI program and Native American CDFI assistance program application deadlines. In the meantime, full functionality has been restored to the present mapping system. Users can save and submit maps attached to their applications. You can learn more about the changes and return to the existing system at www.newmarketscredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.